Let's rock and roll. Fun little title today. It's very provocative. Do the cards even matter anymore? A lot of ways to take this, right? I should have had a, a chart ready. But, uh, you know, it's pretty funny. I love the content coming out of the hobby. No matter what kind it is. Whether it's P. Ryan and Ephus Pitch doing their, you know, lives and doing their, you know, hobby gatekeeping about content and not taking money to do content and keeping the content, you know, pure. It's an interesting take. Um, love it. Great. Good for them. Um, keeping it off the cards, I guess, is sort of the message there, right? And then the, there are people who are trying to keep it about the cards, like my friend Josh, Cardboard Chronicles, who basically shit on Mickey Mantle today. And, uh, you know, wants to pick a fight with the vintage baseball community. And I'm sure there are some who will, you know, who will challenge him on that. But the proof is in the pudding. And we'll talk about that. And you got the Denny's and the Doc collectibles who make a lot of content that's sort of adjacent to the hobby, but they don't really seem to ever really be talking about cards. Um, and again, to each their own. You know, those guys are, they've become sort of hobby mainstays over the last year or so. Um, I find them entertaining. And, you know, when I'm looking at stuff, you know, about the hobby, I like to mix in a little cards and entertainment. It's what makes somebody like, you know, Mama Break so awesome, right? I mean, there's a lot of cards. There's baseball cards, there's rips, there's Star Wars, there's knowledge, and, you know, it's also entertaining. You watch the breaks, get, you know, they actually get excited about the, you know, the cards that they're ripping. And, you know, hey, come see me at, you know, an eBay event or whatever it is. Um, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world to balance out the card content and the content content, I guess, is the best way of saying it. You know, the fun, the entertainment. Um, I'll give the card letter guys a lot of credit. The once a week crossover is really entertaining and they find a way to be entertaining about cards i think it's the question and answer and i miss the coffee with cage maybe i'll start doing lives again on fridays just to get that kind of different energy you know and make it entertaining but also answer questions about cards i think basketball card guy john does a really good job of that also um you know soliciting questions and then posting a story about it there's a lot of great content out there um you know, Sutton and Slab does a lot of good stuff. Um, I, I can, I'm not going to spend, you know, 25 minutes naming people, but, you know, I'm sure everybody has their, you know, their favorites. But it really is something that I was thinking about today, right? Like the, the back and forth, the push and pull. Um, I think at its base, if we're going to look at it the right way, it's that people do care about the cards and they want to make sure that. There is no hobby without the cards. The hobby itself is about the cards. And if you're not talking about cards, then are you really talking about the hobby or are you talking about something else? I think at base, that's kind of, you know, if I look at it from the best perspective, that's kind of why people are gatekeeping, hobby gatekeeping. And uh, I'm not surprised to see more of it now, especially when you see, um, you know, the level of scams that have been exposed recently it's natural for folks to be skeptical of 
you know, folks who are coming in here and not really about the cards or, hey, are you about the cards? Again, interesting to try to balance it out. It's something I have, you know, trouble with sometimes myself. Um, you know, I'm not talking about a card here per se, but let's change that because I want the cards to matter even in this episode. I'm going to make you sad for a second, guys. Anybody listening to this? I want you to think of any card, any known liquid card, card that's going to have sales in it over the last 20 years. The one that came to my mind was, um, it's probably still up, but you could look at Cardboard Chronicles story post about the Mantle 8. And you'll see even a Mantle 8, even a card like that, you know, with the most recent sale of 900 and change, a close to seven figure card, a card that has sold for the last couple of years well into the seven figures. I think one sold for over $2 million. Um, Look at the chart on it. And what you're going to see in the last five years is kind of one of these up and downs. And it's still kind of creeping down. The same type of chart that you will see for almost every card in the game. So here's part A of the... Careful. What I want you to do is forget about that. Forget about that up and the down. I want you to take a look at your card ladder chart. I want you to go in there and look at the pricing chart. They probably have it on PSA's website also. But what I want you to do is I want you to just scroll over, ignore 2018 and on. Ignore 2017 and on. Go pick like 2016 and go back 10 years from that. You, you probably can see this right now on still on the Cardboard Chronicle story and some other folks who are like posting his story. So it'll be up there. But what you're going to see is you're not, you're not going to see this. You're going to see this. You can see a flat line, a very flat line on that card. There was no real movement on it. Now maybe it went up slightly. And that's the same type of line you'll see for almost every liquid sports card. And the question that I have for you guys out there is I, I've heard, you know, a lot of folks who are still in the hobby and they say this, listen, the hobby is great. I can buy cards and sell them. That's what I do in the hobby. I'm going to go out. I'm going to buy cards at 70% and sell them for 110%. Okay. Sounds great. The math on that works out. During that 10-year period where that mantle was flat, and any other card you can think of right now and look at that chart, basically flat, I want you to think about whether or not what you're doing there about buying cards for 70% of comp and selling it for 110%. Do you think that that's something that was able to be done for that 10-year period? Or do we think that even that segment of the hobby is something that was just born out of this recent crazy run-up? And we've already seen sort of like card funding at a certain amount and you know i'm going to you know give you a loan at 60% or 70% of the card value we've already seen that kind of go by the wayside because 60% of the card at an inflated price is now more than 100% of the card value now and you know that that model just didn't work out right isn't it the same kind of thing right and then the answer i guess is well I'm just buying them and selling them quickly. I'm buying them here and I'm going to a show and flipping them quickly. And if you're able to do that and you're at the shows and you're doing that, great, more power to you. I guess you're making some money now short term. But I guess the question becomes this. 
doesn't the hobby catch up? Like, doesn't the end user base, which is finite presently, and I know we're 10xing the hobby, but the, the end user base, eventually the person you're selling that card to for 110%, it's got to end up in the hands of somebody who's holding that card. And chances are that card has gone down in value. So that's a person who is no longer going to be in the buyer pool paying 110% for a card because they realize that they're losing money. They're getting burned. And does that eventually, that train, stop? The ability to buy at one price from somebody and sell at a price to somebody else, you name it. Does that stop? And I guess, you know, you tell me, yeah, sure, but I can still make mystery packs. Well, same kind of thing, right? I mean, if 75% of people buying mystery packs are losing money on the mystery packs, is mystery packs really the future of the hobby? Is that really where we're going? It's an interesting thing because the collectors out there listening to this are saying, no, the hobby's not about any of that. The hobby's about collectors. It's about people buying cards that they want to own. The cards themselves matter. And I think they're right. The hobby, not the industry, not the business. The hobby is about people getting cards of players they want, cards they want to own. But when the hobby was that, there was a flat line. Their cards weren't worth more. They probably tell me they don't care. But all this other ancillary stuff wasn't there. And it, it's funny I was thinking about this this morning because I, I fall sort of into uh, both sides of the equation. I have a bunch of cards that I bought well over 20 years ago. I'm not talking about my childhood collection. I have that, but I, I, I purchased cards that I just wanted to own. Think about that for a second. I purchased cards that I just wanted to own. My 33 Gaudis that I've talked about a bunch of times. I talked about, you know, at the National, I've owned one for so long that the slab, you know, was copied by somebody and I had to have it re-slabbed because it, I owned it and it didn't come up for sale. Because I've owned it for more than two decades, you know what I mean? And it's just a card that I just want to own. Well, let's throw this out there. Do we need another flatline period of five or ten years? Where, I don't want to call it a reset, but do we need a period where people are buying cards because they want to own those cards? Do we need that sort of start over where people are buying cards because they just want to own them? They are not buying cards because they are expecting to buy it at 60% of a comp and sell it at 110% of the comp. They're buying cards. They're taking those cards and they're putting them away with the understanding that for the next five, eight, or 10 years, that card might not go up in value, but they still want to own that card. They still want to have that 33 Ruth Gowdy in their collection more than they want the cash, more than they want to own something else. Because what I thought about that was, there's a reason why a lot of the stuff that I own now is worth significantly more than it was. It's because if you have a prolonged enough period where those things don't come out, where the supply isn't there, where people are actually collecting the cards, the cards themselves actually matter. The cards that are being made, the cards that you're now keeping, well, those are the cards that more people, when the hobby has a boom, when the hobby does grow, are going to want, and necessarily the price goes up. Which leads me to the next chapter. Are we making any cards now that anyone's going to want? Do the cards that are being produced even matter? Or, as I said in a previous episode, 
Are we just really in a bounty gate, right? Are we just really in a where where we were bringing in just a, a a new group of people who are gambling? You think about a mystery pack, right? Mystery pack, you have no idea what the hell's in it, but you're putting a hundred dollars in for a pack that has a downside and a capped upside. That's what a mystery pack is. It's basically a gamble. It's basically a scratch-off ticket where you're going to pay a hundred bucks. You're not going to lose it all, but you're probably going to lose some with a chance to make more. I don't really know of anybody in the mystery packs who's going through the checklist and saying, I'm buying this mystery pack because I really want to hit one of these seven cards that are in there. Nope. No box breaks. You have a lot of the same thing, right? People sure do buy the teams that they like, the, the players that they like, but, but for the most part, people are breaking boxes with the goal of hitting one of the bounty cards. And I say bounty cards, I'm going to use that now. That's my new term. I don't mean a card that has a bounty. I don't mean the one ring that's 200, you know, that's $2 million. I don't mean the the, the Drew Jones 250 grand or the Babe Ruth that's 200. I mean, you kind of know in each release which guy, which card, which one you're hunting for, you know? I'm going to call the LeBron Triple Logo Man a bounty card. Right, even though there wasn't a bounty named for it, clearly people were opening that, trying to hit that lottery ticket, trying to hit that. They were they were paying their entrance fee, they were buying their lottery ticket and hoping to get that. I don't know that anybody who was opening flawless was opening it to keep that card. Now think about that for a second. Are the people who are spending the money to buy the boxes and buy into box breaks now, at the higher end especially, are they opening because they actually want the card? I submit to you the answer is, for the most part, no. There are very few people who are buying boxes, opening boxes, and hoping to get the card. That's an interesting business model. You know, normally you don't go to a restaurant and buy the food that you don't want to eat. You know, I mean, in certain areas, reselling sort of works, right? I'm going to buy in and buy a pair of sneakers, try to get in, flip the sneakers, you name it. This is a little different because I think the whole thing is built on having cards that matter. Now, what card matters to which person is a different conversation. I can talk about the value of a high-grade Mickey Mantle card with Josh if he wants to. I like the guy. Um, I think there's a limited amount of playing days Mickey Mantle cards in any grade for every year that he played, even though he played for a while. And if you compare that to even LeBron autos, LeBron golds, LeBron whatever, like there's, you know, there's an argument to be made. There's a comparison to be made. It's a, it's a different generation and it's a different time, um, a different kind of cards. But the cards themselves have to be something that there's a demand for. And what there's a demand for now can switch. Because think about this, guys. Let's, let's not go back too far. Go back to, you know, the beginning of this kind of crazy run-up. People were buying packs and boxes to get Trey Young. What's the Trey Young stuff worth now? People were buying packs and boxes to buy Zion and to get Zion and, and Ja. I think people still hold it out, hope on them, but the cards are not worth anywhere near what they were. 
just look at the price of you know prism blasters and what people were opening those for and what they're selling for now lamello ball i mean is anybody really buying lamello ball cards to hold them because they think lamello cards are what they really want to own Seriously, if you're a LaMelo fan and you're really out there buying LaMelo Flawless because you want to keep it, that's your coffin card, I apologize to you. But I don't really think you exist. That man back there is not real, that LaMelo collector. You continue. Paolo Banquero? Come on now. And even when you get to somebody like a Wemby, and let's just take for the purpose of this conversation that he's going to be the next great thing. Even if he is. Is his Bowman University Chrome Bowman's best you in a not even an NBA uniform? Is that the card that people are going to want, or is it really just a, another iteration of the greater fool theory where it's coming out now and people are buying that stuff so that they can sell it, buying it to hope to get the Wemby so that they can sell it? I don't know too many people who are buying that product to get the Wemby to keep it. I think that's something that probably needs to be addressed at some point, right? The intrinsic value of what the hobby is built on, right? Because if all the cards that get produced in the next five years are just simply a way to have printing presses run, the slot machine mentality, the somebody coming in to spend 100 to try to win 200 spend 1000 to try to turn it into 2000 quickly, to try to do the quick flip. Honestly, I do not believe that that is a recipe for sustainability. And it's something that I worry about because taking it back to the beginning, if you look at the charts and you see the lines, right? You see the, man, I got to shut that off. It's very annoying. Sorry, guys. You see the, the flat line for 10 years. That's necessary, right? But... But is that where we're headed? Is this proliferation of cards? Is it the early 90s again after the boom in the 80s? Is it something that we're going to head into a time period where, um, you know, the cards themselves don't matter? And because of that, if you look at the chart, you have that run up and we're starting to run back down. Some cards have already gone all the way back down to where they were, but a lot of them haven't. Was this whole thing just based on new folks, new money coming in, and that new folks and the new money is going to disappear because the cards themselves don't matter. Now, this is not irreconcilable. This is not something that is beyond repair. It's sort of like I want the um, you know, the first 19 minutes of this to be, you know, Ebenezer was just visited by the three spirits, and he's got the shit scared out of him, right? And he wakes up the next morning and buys the biggest goose in all the land. Well, that's the part where we're up to now. I guess the question to you is, do you think that this is something that will be fixed? Do you think this is something that the companies that have the ability to fix it want to fix it? And if you look at it, that 90s was a fun time. I remember... The, the mass proliferation of cards. Hell, I still have my 91 Fleer baseball set. Talk about worthless junk. 
I remember all the stuff that came out in 91, 92, 1990. It is all worthless. Part of it is, you know, I mean, after Frank Thomas in 90, what did we get? But as the 90s progressed, card companies had to innovate for, comp for competition's sake, especially, right? You had your upper deck hologram, which no one had ever seen before. Then you had 93 finest with the refractor that came out. Then you had the addition of game-used patches. You had you know, artistic cards that came out, like your PMGs. You had numbered cards. You then had autographs inserted in. And I would say that with those changes, those cards started to matter. Whereas we had the first half of a decade, pretty much, where there were very little cards that were created that, that mattered. I'm a little nervous about this current year, next year, you name it. And I'm wondering whether or not the companies that are going to be making the cards will look back to the 90s, will look back to what we saw and realize that they have to innovate. What's the big difference, though? There are a lot of companies making cards then, right? A lot of companies. I don't think we're going to have the same type of competition or need for innovation now. And that leaves it up to you. Because if the companies don't have to compete with each other to get better, and they know that money's coming, the money is what matters. You'll have to speak with your wallet. I'll have to stop buying the junk. And the card companies will have to change. I just don't know if we're there. Maybe not. Maybe not yet. So there's my thought today. Real, like, you know, interesting uh, way to wake up. You know, take a shower and think, wow, what do you think about the hobby tag? I'll tell you where the genesis of it was. I have a lot of cards still. You know, I have a lot of value in cards. I have a lot of cards that I purchased a couple years before the boom. Cards that I thought, this could be a good card to own for a long time. And they've gone up in value significantly. And I wonder whether or not if my reading the tea leaves is correct and... You know, I'm looking at the charts. I'm looking at the flat. I'm wondering if I'm right and we're going to continue to see that downward slope and then the flat over time. I'm wondering if the better course of action for me isn't to move most of the stuff that has gone up with the understanding that if I'm right, I'll have a very significant flat period to pick those cards up again and get to collect. I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. Um... I know it's something that concerns me for the overall health of the hobby. I don't know whether or not you guys even care about this or think about it. And I will tell you that um, I'm not shitting on breaking. Not at all. I'm sure there are people who love it. I'm sure there are people who enjoy the hell out of it. Um, I just wonder whether or not there's a way to have the breaking, have the products being made, have all that stuff, but still make cards that matter what do you guys think is that possible got any ideas for how the companies can make that happen and should i sell everything or just hang on to it there's your questions there's your thought process of the day it's friday i'm fried from the week we got a crazy week of content you know that's uh that's been thrown out there um, the basketball guys are pointing at the baseball guys. The hobby gatekeepers are pointing at the new um, 
you know, folks who are making content that they might not think is the right way to do it. I understand where they're coming from as far as, you know, like I'll take money and blah, blah, blah. But here's my end. And we'll keep this one 25 minutes. I started off this week with a, you know, hobby your own way and, you know, put the blinders on and don't look. And I'm going to end it with do the cards even matter anymore. I think we need the cards to matter. But that doesn't mean every corner of the hobby has to be nerds like me showing you the card that I bought. If that's what you want to do, do it. The one thing, I love Ephus Pitch and I love P. Ryan. The one thing that I, I felt was missing from their 20-minute soliloquy on hobby gatekeeping and um, you know what people should and shouldn't do with their content is maybe they should have made it 25 minutes and talked about some cards. Because then, guess what? Then they're becoming the content that they're asking others to be. Oh, if you're going to make card content, you know, got to be careful if you're making content about an auction house because that auction house is paying for that content and it's not the right way to go. Okay. Maybe the better way of doing it is instead of saying that content shouldn't do what they're doing, maybe you are counter-programming. Maybe you are doing content about the auctions that's not being paid for. And they're doing the content about the auctions that is being paid for. Maybe instead of pointing out that the Honus Wagner restored cards that's over $2 million only made it on my news and no one talked about it, maybe, maybe go ahead and make content about it yourself. Instead of saying other people should do it. Instead of telling other people what they should do. Telling other people what they should do is my job. Now I'm just playing. Um... I love each and every one of these guys. I'm not trying to like, you know, pick a fight with them. I I think they all have value in it. Um, but keep in mind to say that, to say that everybody has value means that when you, you know, when you're going to go and make your own content and do your own stuff, like I do, I try not to crap on anybody. I mean, I'm not successful at all the time. I have crapped on enough people, I'm sure. But I try not to crap on people too much. I think from a content perspective, there's room for all of it because there is no, you know, people break. Some people break. Some people come to the hobby for laughs. Some people come to the hobby to see people rip a prism pack in their car. Right? I mean, just look at Iowa Dave's post, man. There's like 20 different podcasts. I know there are not people out there listening to all of them. He tried and he almost, you know, fried his brain. So I guess what I would say is if you think hobby content should be some way, go ahead and make it. And let other people make content the way they want to make it also. That's kind of like my my, my end of this one. Um, yeah, there you go. We're, I, I, got, I guess I got to wrap it up at some point. So might as well wrap it up there. Talk to you soon. I didn't have a good start in fantasy this week. Vadim, I'm playing Vadim this week. And my my two guys on Thursday night, A.J. Brown was terrible. He was complaining. He wasn't getting thrown. And Madison had negative points for the first half because of fumbles. So I'm in a hole. But I'll, I'll let you guys know Monday, Tuesday. I think Monday is still some players. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'll let you know next week if I'm able to prevail. Right now, it doesn't look good. But we shall see. We shall see if I can take down the bagel man. Talk to you guys soon.